I'm John Prudeau, The Economist's US editor, and I'm the host of a new podcast about the 2020 elections and the road to power in America. Together with two of my American colleagues and a whole cast of Economist correspondents around the world, we'll take you through the ideas and the social changes that are shaping politics in what promises to be an exceptional election year. We'll look at the long view and ask the big questions. What has the Trump administration actually achieved? What do centrist Democrats really believe in? And what kind of country is America going to be after November? We'll go beyond the headlines and horse race to delve deeper into the contest for the White House and why it matters so much. That's Checks and Balance for the global view on democracy in America. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Acast or your podcast app. Start listening today. The kind of old-fashioned cop who preferred working the streets and making arrests to taking tests toward promotion. He was the closest thing New York had to a dirty Harry. This is One Tough Podcast on the OG Podcast Network. Here's your host... Bo Deedle. Okay, welcome to One Tough Podcast. I'm joined here as always with uh, Carlo, who's my producer. Today we have a really good friend and a really special guest. And I tell you the honest truth, I'm jealous of him. Because if I was your size, man, I'd be one ass-kicking guy, man. You already are, though. I'm a midget, man. I'm a midget. But you already kick butt. But my guy... He's a New York Giants legend. We don't say that lightly. He's a legend, and he's an entrepreneur. And you want to know something? I go way, way, way back to the 1980s with him. Yes. And uh, before they started winning, uh, uh, well, you won the first Super Bowl the the weekend that my father died. So I won't forget mm-hmm. that one. And that was be 1987, yes. but it was really 86. Yes. It was the 86 Super Bowl, but it was 87. And uh, we had flown out to L.A. Yes. And my crew of guys, we used to go, we used to always meet at a place called Marmondo's. It was the old Doral Hotel on was 50th and uh, Crystal Lexi. Steakhouse, right? Crystal Steakhouse. Yeah. We used to play at both sides. Yeah. We started at Marmondo's, then we yeah. moved over to Crystal. Well, we started at Crystal's, moved to Marmondo's. Yes. We were back and forth. So I used to put this luncheon together, and we used to invite a couple of the Giants Every weekend, but Carl was there all the time. He was like one of the. I was the host. He was the host with the most. We used to have little Phil McConkey there. Everybody, Lawrence Taylor, Pepper Johns, you name them, we got them. Phil Sims, everybody. So before there were these chalk talks, it was Bo and I doing these lunches that we would corporate lunches. We're at another level. Wow. Prior to they where they are now with with ball. Like we had a who's who crowd. We could get any athlete to come. And during football season, you know, it's not easy to get sharp sure. players. We get anybody. I drop Bo's name and they'd show up. <laughs> and um but it was great, great meal, intimate setting, uh, amongst friends. So you could say and talk about just about anything you want. And um it was we were ahead of our time. Now, you know what was great? It would be after the Sunday game, either I think Monday or Tuesday. I yeah, think Monday. It was Tuesday. No, it was. Um, was it Monday? Because if we had a Monday night game, it would be on Tuesday. Yeah. Yeah. So we used to do that, and we have these business guys. I mean, who's who are business guys? And we would have a nice steak lunch, 
and we start drinking a little cocktails and shit. And then all of a sudden, it was great. It was a back and forth. It was wonderful. It was a great idea. It lasted, I, I, I guess, it had to last at least five, six About years. About five years. Yeah. 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 Then everybody else took off on it. Even Crane's business didn't have that luncheon back then. Wow. Yeah, it was it was great. We had some really cool stuff. But you got, who's the guy? Remember the bald head guy that LT signed his, his head with a Sharpie? Uh, oh no, he died. The oh, he little did. guy. Yeah, the little guy. Yeah, he was. He used to do a comedy club out of Brooklyn, and he was like, uh, "Yeah, oh, he passed away. Funny, funny, funny guy." And he just he was so enthralled with LT. He said, "Sign my he head." Put, LT grabbed him and put him in the headlock, yes. grabbed the permanent marker, and signed his head. <laughs> wow. Really big too. He probably died with that thing in his head too. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I forget his name. Maybe I'll think of it as we're going along. But it would be very interesting. Before we go back there, let's let's start about you because this is about Carl Banks. Carl Banks ain't just a a, a legend. In football, he's also a, a mentor to a lot of people. He's helped a lot of young people. And, you know, a lot of these uh, sports stars, they don't look back. They just look forward. He looked back. He helped a lot. He's always been there. Whenever I whenever I called upon Carl, Carl was there for any kind of charitable thing. And we're always there. Let's talk about it. So you grew up in Michigan. Yeah. <clears throat> Flint, Michigan. Flint. Yeah. Can't yeah. drink the friggin' water there now, right? Well, it's unfortunate, isn't it? Yeah. That's unfortunate. Um you've got you know, that that's home. I mean it's it's near and dear to me and you know, it's obviously a um blue collar town. But um what's happening there is a shame right now. Yeah. And um you know, I know you ran for electric elected. I was a loser. Off, yeah, was a you loser. weren't a loser. You were probably fortunate enough <laughs> not to win. Um you know, the thing is when Elect, elected officials don't serve the people, mm-hmm. and they make bad decisions contrary to the well-being of the communities that they're supposed to serve. It's a disgrace. It is a disgrace, and that yeah. was one of the reasons why I ran for mayor of New York. This clown that we have as mayor, uh, you know, he's so corrupt and everything, and his his values are just how much money you can get with people giving the money, what I could do, pay for play. I really love this city, and I love Every person is saying, when, when I ran, I'll never, I'll never forget when I ran for United States Congress back in 86 against the Reverend Floyd Flake. You know, I used to go into Jamaica, Springfield Boulevard, Cambria Heights, black areas of South Queens. And then, uh, Floyd Flake, who became my very dear friend, I think he's kind of ill now too. He say, man, Bo, you got some balls to come here and everybody be booing me and everything. And I say, you can boo me all I, all you want. I was a servant to the black community. I picked up 10 dead my last case. Mm-hmm. So you can run that shit to anybody you want. But I know the problems. I know the problems about young boys who don't have a father. Sure. I know the problem of kids not having any mentors. So in reality, I I really absorbed all that. And one of the real fast stories was I was investigating the largest mass murder in New York history, 10 deads back then anyway, mm-hmm. until these talheads blew up the World Trade Centers. But this was 10 dead. And I'll never forget, I went in an apartment. There was these three young seven-year-old uh, African-American boys, completely naked with feces all over them and all that. I went and I pushed the door open. Now I'm investigating the murder of 10. So I see these kids. I said, where's your, where's your mother? It was foster kids. She went to the store. I opened up the refrigerator. There was nothing in there. Mm. So I waited. I'm getting calls from my lieutenant. 
you know, 10-1 means call the, call the detective squad. And I waited, waited for the mother to come on, waited an hour. The mother came and I says, look, I'm a detective. I was a homicide detective. Mm-hmm. I'm a detective. If these kids ain't cleaned up and you don't have food in that refrigerator, I'll be back every week. I'm taking these kids to Bureau of Child Welfare. Mm-hmm. I wasn't kidding. So I get back to the stage. My lieutenant starts screaming at me. Where were you? I said, he was three young boys who were left alone, man. Mm-hmm. And he goes, you're a homicide detective. I said, that's the problem. I said, if I can, if I can give some sort of image that a detective and a cop is really someone out there to help you. Yeah. And that's, and the majority out there to help them. And then when they start turning on it, and I'll never forget when I ran for mayor of New York City, uh, my friend Reverend Al Sharpton, we used to call him the fat rat, because when I was a detective, <laughs> he was one of our informants. And I go to his action committee, he actually let me talk on his action committee that uh, mm. two years ago and Jesse Jackson was on there before me and all the people started booing. I did the same thing. I says, you could boo me all you want. I was a servant to the black community and the Hispanic community. I said, I know what the problems are. I know what the problems were then and I know what the problems are now and I want to help people. I, this ain't a game for me. I got a lot of money. I don't need mm. to be mayor of this city, but I really love this city. And that was my whole life. And it's been there. And you want to know something? Just what I learned from running for mayor, how they utilized the board of election and they, they, they took me off. I didn't even have a line. I couldn't be a Democrat, Republican. He oh, wow. made sure he had his general counsel, three lawyers in mm. every court. They knocked me off for a technicality. And so I, when I ran, call, I looked for my name election day and I couldn't find my name where all the counties were on the bottom right. Some Chinese guy underneath him was me. I couldn't even find my own damn name. So they made you a write-in candidate almost, huh? Almost, just about. Yeah. And I, I mean, I couldn't find my own name. People called me up, oh, we can't find you. So I knew I was a goner. But in reality, I took my swings. And the best part of running for mayor call was when I said to him on CBS, my friend Maurice Dubois was the uh, was the moderator. Yeah. Maurice is a good friend. He lived in my building. I know 90. Maurice well, yeah. I love Maurice. He goes, he, he was the moderator. He goes, well, Bo, you got 60 seconds. So I'm looking at the Blasio. I go, you know, Mr. Mayor? I've been a detective my whole life, and I know a criminal when I see one. And you're a criminal with your pay for playing your corruption. How much money do I have to give you to get something done in this city? The place went crazy. That was the best part of running for mayor, where I chopped him down. He would see me. He'd run the other way. He's six foot six, whatever. Yeah. He's got balls like BBs. He's not a man. He's a He's got ball like BBs. And, you know, the corruption factor. So politics to me... You know, that's why I really contact sport. I really like Bloomberg because Bloomberg's got 50 billion. Mm -hmm. He don't need to do it. But yet he was a very good mayor because he got things done. This clown gets nothing done. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, we've signed away from any. There ain't a way. There ain't no way in hell. It'll never happen. I'll never run for for political office ever, ever. Well, there. Well, obviously, you know, there's more than one way to serve your community. And I think you've, you know, you've done that. You've got life experience doing it. So I would say my good friend, Bo, you've always been there for me whenever I needed you for anything. And um, that's, you know, that, that kind of is what fuels me to do well uh, and do, and, and do for other people who are less fortunate because, you know, sometimes even though wherever we are in our walks of life and I've done pretty well for myself, we need we need help sometimes, right? Yeah. And um, to be able to have a resource to call on um, is great. But then you know you have 
communities and, and people or even, you know, those who are afflicted with mental health issues. Oh, or yeah. And I do a lot of work with autism. I have um, yeah. nephews who are, are, are autistic. And, you know, you just want to make sure that you can be a resource for people in any way you can within your know, capacity to do it. Because I think um, to have... To have the ability to help someone and not do it, it's just not. Yeah, and I mean, and even cool. when you have a lot of money, if you're not doing the right thing, one of my big issues, again, talk about mental health. I mean, when you look around the city, we have 60,000 homeless still. Nobody's dealing. The majority of them have mental health issues. And then when you get a billion dollars, a billion dollars in the last four years, with this Operation Thrive with the Charlene de Blasio or McRae, whatever her name is, and she can't explain what she did with the money. That kills me because we certainly have to help the homeless, and especially with the majority of them being mentally ill. We must deal with it. My daughter, Dana, my little girl, she's a school teacher. She was up in the South Bronx. She just got over to Queens. She's a specializes in uh, autism and mm -hmm. children with mental disabilities. And then... You have classrooms where you have a mentally ill kid. They can't take that kid out of the class and help them. He has to stay in there with 30 other children and disrupt them. That's not a good thing either. No, it's not a good environment for you. No, and, but you got to take them out, but not just take them out. You got to take them out and help them, yeah. him or her. And I, I, I get it. And truly, truly, Carl, and you know me a lot of years, mm -hmm. my intentions of being mayor of New York City was one reason was to help people, and that was mm -hmm. it. Not for my accolades. I, I've been with every president. I, I don't need pats on the back. Sure. You know, and my big movie's coming out. The Irishman's coming out Friday. Major, oh, is it? Major role I Wait got. I didn't get a, uh well, invite I, to the premiere. Carla, well, what's going on? Am I like on well, a tight ticket? Tell them really what kind of ticket it is. They, I didn't even have one. Listen, tight ticket? Tight ticket? I didn't is, have one. Is, would you consider Rails a tight ticket? Well, you, think, for those who don't know, be a little harder for people that don't know people, it's pretty hard to get in Rails. Right? <laughs> yeah. I've never had a problem when I call Bo to get. get. Now, Rails I can handle, but <laughs> this this thing became like a psycho city. But more 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 important, let's let's go back to your to your roots, uh, because you know you growing up in 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 an area like Flint, which was. A lot of poverty there. Uh, there were poor people. Let's let's say. Well, like yeah. When is. General Motors moved out, yeah, um, it was not a lot left, you know. And one, I think one plant still operates, and it's a shell of. It became a ghost town, you mm. know. And um, some kids that I end up well, I was in middle school to high school were looking forward to graduating, going to get a job at General Motors, right? Wow, and it dried up, and um, all of that dried up. So. You know, fortunately enough, I was able to um, go to Michigan State, get a college degree, and, and pursue um, a career in sports and after sports, a career in communications that I got my degree in. But, mm -hmm. you know, um, it's tough. You know, well, there's a lot of other kids that were there. And then, you know, what happens, Carlo, in this, when you have an atmosphere where you can't work, you can't make money, then all of a sudden you see how you make quick money with these garbage drugs or whatever, and you turn to a life of crime sometimes. You're kind of forced into it. You know, so interesting you say that, and I'm not sure what year it was. I think it was the early 90s. But Flint, <clears throat> Flint Michigan, had a population of about 110,000 people, and it led the nation in crime and murder. 
And that was, uh, I think that was in the mid, early to mid 90s. Oh, and that's unfortunate, it, man. It's, like, a, it's directly correlated. Yeah. No work, no jobs, unemployment equals crime, yeah. I'm sorry to say. Yeah. And then, and I got to compliment one guy. I never met him. I don't think I met him. Maybe I did meet him. Is this dude from Detroit that does the loans? Uh, quick and loans. Quick Quicken loans. Yeah. He's been specializing in making that city something. a great place. You know, Detroit is the, on the upswing, man. Well, he owns the Cleveland Cavaliers. Yeah. But, you know, he was at Michigan State when I was there. Get out of town. He was at Michigan State when I was there. You know him? I, I'm sure I do. I know him, but I don't know but him. what know he's him. doing, because I had a couple of cases over there in Michigan a few years ago. It was bad. And they didn't even have fire department to respond to a fire. Oh, Let boy. me tell you, what he's doing, Carlo, is is the epitome of bringing back Detroit. Yeah, I get the chills on my hair, whatever hair I get yeah, left. Yeah, he's revitalizing. Because he's revitalizing. Yeah. And that's a guy that should get the Medal of uh, Freedom, whatever medal that President Trump or whatever president is there. He deserves it because he's in, in, in flux from poverty. Now we got prosperity. Yeah, Detroit's definitely it's it's almost turned the corner now. Wow. It's it's back. Dan something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's his name? Dan. I can't think of his last name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Dan Gilbert. Dan, Dan Gilbert. Gilbert. Yeah. That's the dude. Yeah. Big shout out to Dan. Make sure you send a little something from me to Dan Gilbert. Yeah, he's doing and, a great job. Yeah, he's doing a great job, and I I I sent him a a boy. Okay, so now you're playing for Michigan State. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I used to be a gambler. You remember that? Uh, you remember that? <laughs> Thank God we stopped gambling. Well, I used no, to, now but, you can gamble legally now because now they're legalized. Yeah, Remember my sports. friend Al Tomatoes? Yeah. Al Tomatoes, yeah. Yeah. So we used to be at my house in the Hamptons, and I'm embarrassed to tell you what kind of action I used to play. I don't want to hear it. On a Saturday. <laughs> on a I don't Saturday, even hear it. I was making a lot of money, and I was I like, don't hear I was it. like a guy that didn't know what the hell to do with the money instead of investing it properly. It was like, okay, give me 10000 on Michigan State. And that was just a little bit, and I'd hit everyone. Then I used to actually bet late at night on Saturday night the the Far West games. I used to wake up the next morning looking just to break even, so I just paid a VIG five. I had a five percent VIG, and then Sunday came. Was this when I was playing in the pros or when I was in college? Yeah, it was. No, I was betting like a I was betting Uh, like a like a degeneration. Explains a lot. Yeah, but you never gave me any good picks. No, I never gave you any picks. No, how about this? I'm laying on my couch. I lived, <laughs> this is a true story. I'm laying on my couch, and I lived in Secaucus at the time. My phone rings, and someone says they're calling from the FBI, right? <laughs> and no, I'm like, no, 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 no. And I'm like, yes, may I help you? Um, this is a routine phone call, but your name was mentioned. The guy said he was, you know, part of an organized crime unit or whatever. Uh, your name was mentioned uh, on a phone call we were listening to. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. And he gave a few names. I, I'm like, I've never seen or heard. Or... He's like, okay. And I'm like, wait a minute, am I in any trouble? Because, you know, um, at that time, the commissioner was, like, heavy-handed with gambling and all right. of that. And, it's, and, and to this day, they still believe gambling within the sport would be the one thing that could take it down. I All agree. the other stuff, they can deal with drugs, they can deal with the violence, which they need to deal with better. But gambling, they say once that gets into the sport, 
it, ta- it can take it down. So I was scared for my career, my life. I'm like, I've never had a call from the FBI for anything. And so as soon as they hung up, I called the NFL, um, the security guy, and I said, hey, look, what's going on? I just got a call. He said, let me look into it. They looked into it, and they're like, ah, it's nothing. They just, you know, guys talk, and they were talking about the Giants, and your name came up, but it was nothing that had to do with you. I was like, okay, thank you. Okay, let me just say right now for the audience. And I'm like, I'm hanging with Bo and doing these lunches. Never, (laughs) ever did Carl ever give me a tip on anything. The last son of a bitch that gave me a tip was we were doing the movie Casino with Nick Pelleggi. And then they had this guy who was the handicapper. Rosenthal. Rosenthal. So Nick... Gets him Lefty on the phone, Rosenthal. and the guy used to yeah. listen to Imus. You know, he did Imus 34 yep. years. So he gets, hey, hey, Lefty Rosenthal. Hey, Lefty, how you doing? So this is when I was gambling. So I said, Lefty, I says, well, give me 12 picks for Sunday. 12. And I didn't ask for one. So this son of a gun, who was supposed to be the handicapper, gave me 12. If I tell you I lost all 12, mm-hmm. 12 or 12, I called him back. He says, the Lefty, lose my effing number. I hung up ah. on him. I never talked to him again. But so we went through that gambling time. But you want to know, so I thank the good Lord. I've been out of that for at least seven years, and it's good. But let's go back to you. Okay, you played Michigan State. Mm-hmm. Now we had this thing called the draft. Mm-hmm. Okay, now which, which number did you pop up? Number three. Number three? Yes. In the first round? First round. Whoa, 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 whoa. You mean the draft is there, and you were the third guy in the first round? Third guy selected. And the interesting thing about it, I didn't realize I was going to be drafted so high because then there's, you know, not a lot of social media where the hype is around. And Michigan State, I was not very, I mean, I was good, but the team was not very good. So we didn't get a lot of national prominence. And so I had no idea that uh, Bill Parcells was interested. He tells the story. It's like when he went to see me in an all-star game, because he had already drafted LT, all the other coaches and scouts would follow him around to see who he's looking at. Yeah. And he said he had to intentionally go stand at a distance and watch me because he didn't want any other teams to even – he didn't want wow. me on any other team's wow. radar. Yeah. They, they had some defense. Wow. But it, the interesting thing about that, when I was um, when I was drafted, I didn't know a lot about the Giants because I was, a, you know, Detroit um, Lions and Minnesota Vikings because I'm a Midwest guy. Midwest guy, yeah. Chicago Bears. And so he drafted me. I was like, oh, that's cool. And I got to New York – and then I realized, shit, they got three all-pro linebackers. I'm never going to play. And, and, and the thing that <laughs> stuck in my head is when Bill Par- – the conversation with Bill Parcells was less than 10 seconds. Hey, kid, we drafted you. I didn't draft you to sit you on the bench. Somebody will give you a call to get you here. Wow. And that was it, right? So I show up. You know, once I do a little research, I'm like, sheesh, they got four all-pro linebackers. I, I – you know, I believe in myself, but I didn't see how this was working out. I got some competition. Here. Right. So imagine my first day on the job. I walk up and I see the great Harry Carson and there's Lawrence Taylor. And they're just hanging out by the uh, by the weight room. And I go introduce myself to uh, Lawrence and Harry. Hey, Mr. T- Mr. Carson. Hey, Mr. Taylor. I'm Carl Banks. So Harry looks at me and said, I know who you are. And what the hell are you going to do to get on the field? I was like, oh, wow. This is this. These are real men here, you know. <laughs> I'm like, I thought I was gonna be welcomed with open arms. They're like, no, you got to prove you belong here. So, wow. 
Well, uh, you had this other guy there, this other guy who cuts his sweatshirts at the arms, guy named Belichick. Bill Belichick. He was a young guy. Now, think of this. We were, um, you know, Bill Parcells had just come off his worst year, so he had to get a team turned around, and Bill Belichick was his uh, linebacker coach and uh, defensive coordinator, and he was Bill Belichick was a hard ass. He was tough in every phase. If he coached you, he had no personality either. Well, he's got one. You just don't know about it. He's he's got one outside of football. But he was he was all football. And the good news, or or the good part about working with Bill Belichick, was that it was totally interactive. So you know he would give you something to do. He would tell you why it should work. If it didn't and you told him, hey, look, I think we should, you know, tweak it, and it made sense, he incorporated it. Wow. And that's how he listened, too. Oh, he was the best. But the beautiful part about the the coaching staff that I – and I've been blessed because I've only had one set of shitty coaches, and that was in Washington when I left the the Giants. All of my my coaches from New York to Cleveland were all great teachers – they taught football. So mm-hmm. you understand you understand why you're doing something and why it should work. And everybody around you. So if it was the three of us and you had a thing to do, I had a thing to do, Carlo had a thing to do. If we all did it right, it's it was going to be work. pretty fucking hard for the other team mm-hmm. to get anything done against us. Now it's a little different. You see some team. That's why, listen, the Patriots haven't given up a touchdown on defense this year. Right. And teams are hanging up a lot of points. They haven't given up. But you can't name me one player on their defense right now. Think about that. You can go around. Chicago Bears played last yeah. night. Um, Trevathan, Khalil Mack, nobody's, you name it. Nobody's a star. It's a, it's and, a team. Yeah. So they got a team that nobody knows their name. No, There's no household name, but they're good because they just play good, sound, fundamental football. And that's that's what Bill Belichick has always been about, like build a foundation based on sound fundamentals and just make sure everybody can do this, you know, do their job as best they can. So let's just stay with the Giants for now mm-hmm. before we go into your uh, apparel uh, mm-hmm. history. Uh, so now what was it like in – 1987 to win your Super, first Super Bowl, first Super Bowl that you won. Yeah. So uh, we, we were, you know, from my rookie year in 84, we started, we were a wild card. We lost to the 49ers um, and we just got better and better. But in 85, we went up against the Chicago Bears and we thought we were the best defense in football. And we lost to them in that playoff game. And to a man, we're like, we got another level and we're going to win this thing next year. Because the Bears were just, you know, a hair above where we were. And that was kind of... Who were some of the guys on the Bears? Mike Singletary, Richard Dent, Otis Wilson, (laughs) um, Dave Durison, (laughs) Todd Schell, um, um, Wilbur Marshall... They were wow. beasts. Um, Dan Hampton, they were beasts, right? Yeah. And so we got it. Our offense couldn't do anything, and we got it handed to us. So the next year we're like, we're going to be completely dominant. And so we went into that camp in 86, 
and we were there was no way we were going to be not be denied a Super Bowl. So we went in and we ran through the NFL. It was fourteen and two, I think, was our record. And um, we made a lot of those games look easy. Yeah, we, I, I think we went on a streak of uh, quarterbacks not finishing the game. Def- defense was great, but you had that blonde hair guy. Yeah, that, that Phil Sims guy. That blonde hair guy was throwing that ball around that Phil Sims. Yeah, Phil was. Uh, <laughs> it's so interesting. He's a friend of mine also, oh, like yeah. yours. I love Phil and this. Phil, Phil was a tough guy playing quarterback. But You uh, look at him. He, he had a like, chip on his shoulder. He looked like Opie. He looked like that kid, Chips. <laughs> yep, yep. But he was one tough mother. Yeah, and he was one skillful thrower of the football. And he never got credit. You know, if he played in California or played in a, a uh, southwest uh, climate, he put up numbers like Elway and those guys. But he had to deal. And at that time, in the Meadowlands, the wind whipped. You know, and I've seen a many a quarterback struggle when they came in, mm. but he could throw the ball through the wind. He was just, I mean, he was our guy. Um, you were, our type you were of like quarterback. one big family. Yeah, there was but no he was dissension. our type of quarterback. Yeah, he was one, a tough guy. One thing I remember, there was none of this bullshit dissension about one guy wants to be a hot dogger and all that. They didn't have to say anything or do anything. They just said it on the field. And that's one thing I remember being around all these, all my, all my winners and champions over here with the Giants. Every one of them was a great guy. It was about, it wasn't me, it was us. And you know the interesting thing about it, and this is how times have changed, right? So today's athlete, you know, they're into the models and all of that stuff, which is good, right? We had the same culture. Like we had Palladium, Studio 54, you name it, right? And we had guys who date, like Sean Landetta, our punter, was notorious for dating Playboy models. And I still he see on, Sean. He was, on play, he was on page six every other week. Wow. Right? Our guys, you know, dated like supermodels and actresses and soap stars. But when we came to work. They turned it on. It was like all of that didn't matter. You know, we weren't, oh, I'm the guy who's dating so-and-so. Or I'm the guy who's dating. Yeah, we came to work. And then after Business. work, we enjoy work life. Work, you know, Business. so Business. yeah. Business, but then uh, so then you you won your second Super Bowl, mm-hmm. and what year was that? Nineteen ninety. What was that? Nineteen ninety one. Yeah, nineteen ninety one. And uh, I mean, you guys were just at your epitome there. The Giants were at, at eighty nine. We lost a heartbreaker to uh, the Los Angeles Rams. Flipper Anderson caught They're a bomb good on us. These Rams this year. Yeah, at quarterbacks. Yeah, Jared Goff is good player. Um, but we we won that. We we lost in '89, which we thought was our best um, our best team. And so 1990, we came back and we're like, "Hey, we we won't be denied again." And uh, and it was just one big great giant family. And I had the honor, the honor to be hosting them for lunch with Carl all through the late '80s there, and it was yeah. just fantastic, fantastic. Yeah. And then let's talk about. How you got involved with this apparel company? And what what right. is the apparel? What's the name? What is it? Okay, so it, if you go back to when I first started playing in 1984, by 1986, this brand called Starter came out. Everybody had a starter jacket. Starter, right? If you Google John Gotti right now, you'll see him wearing the uh, LA Raiders LA Raiders starter jacket. That was yeah. the hottest thing and everybody wanted yeah. all the teams. You, you know, right. Like, so this was before Nike was even prevalent. Mm. So uh Starter was the first company uh 
to um, take, I guess, the essence of fandom mm-hmm. and make it a wearable experience. I was one of their first um, ambassadors and endorsees. Did they, catch, did they pay you well, I hope? It was fun. We got paid uh, in clothes and, and money. You didn't answer. Clothes, clothes well, and cash. Well and fun. For that time, yes. For well that time. Well and fun are two different things. Yes. We, you see we, these we endorsement were paid deals. well and it was fun. For that period of time, you were paid well. <laughs> um, now it wouldn't be considered anything. Um, but in doing so, I got a chance to really see what that industry was about and I wanted to be a part of it and spend some time with David Beckerman and kind of understood the passion for, you know, really the, the presentation of sports and how it should look and how it should look on the field. They created all the jerseys and everything and, and the sideline gear and the fan gear. And I was like, I want to, when I grow up, I want to be like that. And I started the next year and created a line of NFL leather coats. And, you know, ultimately my goal was to be um, able to service sports like starter did and the opportunity came about five years ago that i was able to take you know take the license for the brand and and to reintroduce it wow how you doing and with it's that doing well it's Great. doing well and i, I have, love the leather i love yeah. the leather Jack. so i have i have you know my g3 sports by carl banks i have uh starter i have uh g3 for her i'm doing D, dkny for nfl wow. um what else can I talk about? Um, oh, I'm doing Alyssa Milano's collection. Well, we partnered with her to do that. It's touched by Alyssa Milano. Mm-hmm. Um, and we got another one that we're going to announce real soon, too. So there we got a couple. I, mean, I actually just, got two more that we're going to announce. You can't do, but while well, you were still on the Giants. I was still. I was doing this while I was still playing. Remember, right. I started this in 87, and I've been doing it right, since. Right, because you started to do a post show on WNEW and had that How all about come that? out. Yeah, so you, you were you were you were uh you were still playing. Yes. And you had you had that the was team, in eighty seven team let uh had the team go along with that. Listen you catch shit um, on that? When you're no. When you're you're proactive and opportunistic and I just happen to be a man of the people. Um and we had I don't know if I met him at one of our lunches or I did a, a kids event I met an executive from Coca-Cola, mm-hmm. and I had this idea of, hey, I want to do a, a radio show after we play, win or lose. And talk now, about keep the in game. mind, yeah. this is something else that had never been done before. Like now, post-game show and, right. and pre-game reports and it's all of that stuff. Yeah, but then it, it wasn't No there. one ever did that. And so Coca-Cola said, okay, we'll, we'll sponsor your show. Wow. Um, I think it was WNEW at the time said yeah. that okay, we'll give you some airtime. And so Did after you get the a game, sponsor right away, yeah, Coca yeah, Cola. They it's came a, right in, came right in, and and they sponsored it. And I came win or lose, I came up to the press box, and I did a show, uh, post game to talk about the game. Did you bring players on it? That yeah, time? yeah. And then, then you talk with players how you how you fucked up. Well, we talked about it. Well, you know, I've, I've been known to be pretty <laughs> frank about uh, my analysts and uh, my, my analyzation. So, um, but it was, that was kind of the first well, of you its know kind. What? I can listen to you talk and give me the play by play 
all day long. You've walked the walk. You were one of the greatest of all times. I can't listen to some schmuck that never played football well, dis- describing what you do and what you did. Well, it helps when you, you kind of, well, when you know what, what, what's going on, but also having been coached by a guy like Belichick gives you real insight that you can share with no, people. But when you say something like that, who's that little black guy? He's on everything, on, on, on uh, Channel 7, every every sport. Little guy, he speaks very well. What the hell's his name? Uh, uh, short guy. He's on all the uh, all the sports he does for ABC, for uh, everything. Uh, come on, guys. I'm not sure. College does does professional fighting, everything. But I can't listen to him because he didn't walk the walk. He tells me about what's going but on in the football what? field. You know what, though? Just because they didn't play doesn't mean they don't know. Now, experience is the best teacher, yeah. but if you've been around it long enough. Mike Tarico. Tarico's pretty good at what he does. He speaks really well, but no, no, when no, he no, starts no. Telling, let, me, let me just say yeah, this. Again. Tarico is really fucking good at what he okay, does. Okay, then there you got it. Now, no, no, no. You can put Tarico in, in just about he does any the man, sport. I mean, he does golf, too. He does F1 racing. Yeah, but golf, too. Now, no, the listen, guy can't hit the ball. No, no, no. You don't know if you can't hit it. But I tell you this right now, Mike Tirico is one of the best in the fucking business. Well, then I'm going to apologize right you now. You got to apologize. I'm going to apologize. I thought to Mike you were talking about some. No, Mike some Joe Schmo. He's a little, little short. Listen, I, he could be two feet tall. Yeah. And sit on the top well, of a bunch he, of books. But I'm well, telling you, you what, you know me a long time. I Mike, will apologize you to Mike Tirico because Tirico is a. Beast. Please accept my apologies, Mike Tarico. I'm going to keep on listening because Carl Blanks just yeah, bless, Carl man, Banks no. blessed you. That's down. That's no, you can, I don't care if he's 12 feet tall or 2 feet tall. Tarico is really, really, he really is all good. Over Best everything. in the business. That's why. You know why? It ain't because of marketing. It's because he's good. He knows everything about everything. He's fucking good. Wow. No, wow. no, no. Bo. He's well, good. A, a strong man could say, I'm sorry and I was wrong. And I yeah, am wrong. Yeah, you're wrong man. on that one. Well, I know what you're talking about. When you say Tariqo, I'm like, mm, I'm gonna nah. be, I'm going to be He's a big cheerleader of his. Now. Yeah. And when it comes up on one of my other shows, I'll say, well, that is one of the most knowledgeable sports cast oh, that's out good. That's he's good. good. <laughs> he goes from F1 racing to... Baseball, he, he's... To the Masters, to everything. Oh, he's good, dude. Yeah. He's yeah. really good. Carl, let me ask you a question. So were you always thinking about your life after football when you were uh, you know, getting involved with the, the starter, CEO, and when you were doing this radio yeah. show? Were you kind of plant those seeds? Well, you knew you yeah, it, it, let me just up? tell you. It started, again, I, obviously I lived in Flint, you know, so you don't take a lot for granted there. And I, I dug graves legitimately from junior high school to I graduated college, wow. I worked at a cemetery and had a really good mentor there. And, you know, you get the chance to think about more than just sports. And he always wanted me to focus on something beyond sports. And so um, not being good in college, I mean, I, again, my college teams were never good. I thought I was pretty good. Uh, football and basketball player, but I didn't know where it was going to take me because you read about all the other um, schools and you big know, names. You know in what college? percent of college football players become professional? It's got to be really low, probably like ten. No, yeah, no, no, less no, no, no. It's less than one percent wow. of all so, college football. And players. so I don't know. And yeah, I wanted to play football, but I'm in communications, and I'm trying to. I thought I'd be writing commercials at an ad agency. To be yeah. honest with you, so. 
Um, well, you I like just being was, on air. I oh, mean, I love it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But like, I was really into like writing and the whole creative process. And um, when I got drafted, I didn't take that for granted either. Obviously, from the first conversation I had with Harry Carson, it wasn't going <laughs> to be easy. Uh, but I was, I was determined to prove myself. But yeah, I always had my eye on something outside of sports because I just didn't know how long it was going to last. All right, let's just talk about a little bit about the Giants with the whole controversy around the, one of the great wide receivers and all that. Mm-hmm. You know, as far as where the Giants are today with losing him, you know, I mean, it gets to a point where one person isn't the whole team. It beca- I love the idea about this new quarterback, mm-hmm. maybe firing up guys that pulling something out of them that's there, but this new regeneration of a, of somebody fires everybody up. Hey, right. We're a football team and I could do better because this kid's doing, I mean, I can feel it. I can feel it happening. Well, you know, rising tide floats all boats and um, they hadn't been winning in a long time. And this was, you know, a kind of a shot of adrenaline for them. And, you know, most people outside of the giants organization thought the giants were idiots for drafting the kid. And, um, the Giants, obviously, he's proving them right uh, just by his performance in one game. Now, he's got to put it together because the key for any quarterback to have success is um, consistency. So let's see. He's got one in a row, as Bill Parcells would say. Let's see yeah. if he can get another one and start to stack them. But, um, well, four inches away. We, hey, those we, count too. Well, listen to me. Four inches away, we wouldn't have had the win, but he showed a lot. Hey, they all count. They, everybody gets paid to do a job, so they don't they don't call the game off because the kicker should make it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So um, I don't. I was watching. I was in a restaurant having dinner. I said, "We're finished." Yeah, well, you know, normally down. that's what that's that's kind of how when you get so used to losing, you just lose hope sometimes yeah. when the obvious is there. But you know those breaks, those those type of games Something break. That could, that could turn. Think about this in yeah. in um, Philadelphia last year and in Carolina, the Giants lost two games on record-setting field goals. Field goals that shouldn't even been hit. One was sixty-three yards. I don't know what the wow. other one was like sixty-one. And so you're thinking, oh, the Giants got it in the bag, and this guy kicks it through. So, you know, it's kind of it's kind of evening itself out now. Yeah, it's part of the game. So what do you think about with Beckham? Well, I'm, I'm a big fan, you know. I am um, too. I here's, here's the thing about Odell Beckham. He's a kid. He well, has no, to no, mature. No. Mo- I like most. But he's a transcendent talent, meaning he can go to Mars and be great. Like, it's not – he's not dependent on any team. Um He's just great. And you saw it against him when they played against the Jets. Um, the decision to um, trade him was something, you know, I, if they asked me should they do it, I would have said no. Um, I get, to a degree, I get, well, they weren't winning with him and they, you know, can still do bad without him and they can get something for him. I don't. I still, to this day, think he would been he would have been good, right? So decisions what did they have made, to give up for him? No, they gave up a first rounder. They gave up an offensive lineman who's doing really good for the Giants, and they got Jabril Peppers, the safety. So they got a lot of players for him. They got a draft choice. Um, 
I'm I, listen. I root for the kid wherever he is. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He's he's a he's a freaking transcendent he's talent. A tremendous I'm, talent. I'm I'm sorry it didn't work out because I'd love to see him yeah. finish Be his career giant, as yeah. a, a New York Giant, the Me greatest too. receiver. He's gonna go down in history as it, barring injury as the greatest receiver to play the game. Wow. Um, so. It didn't work. I wish it would well, have. My friend Moss won't say that now. Come on. Well, you'll see. Yeah. You'll see. I think Randy recognizes he recognizes greatness <laughs> when he sees it too. But um, you know, I'm I'm sorry it didn't work out with him and the Giants, but I'm I'm always rooting for him because he's a hell of a pretty football player. Yeah. Because that can that can that can yeah. stop a career right away. Yeah. Some of the greatest Probably football plays, their careers were ended early. We yeah. see it with the people like uh, Andrew Luck who retired early. And, uh, yeah, he took a beating. Yeah. I mean, his team didn't do him Gronkowski, any favors. Gronkowski, they all, uh, yeah. you know. Now, now that, that just real fast on that question, as far as with the concussions and all that, we all know it's real. Mm-hmm. All those hits mean something. Look at my friend, God, God rest his soul, Muhammad Ali. Everybody thought, oh, you never touched him. Bullshit. He got punched. Sure. Frazier punched the shit out of him. A lot of them did. Mm-hmm. And effectively, it brought that uh, Alzheimer's on. And uh, at the end, he, I mean, he, he, I was with him. And he was just a shame. The greatest heavyweight champion of all times. Like like on another planet, and and I know there's a lot of football players that uh, got some hits in the head, and it's real. It's real, right? Yeah, I mean, um, football is a collision sport. Um, I think that the NFL is doing a lot to kind of regulate the direct hits. Yeah. Um, can't deny that there that there are some effects to it because I see some guys that I've played with. Or I've watched on TV. Um, I did the the investigation on Aaron Hernandez. Oh, did you really? A few murder investigations. I mean, he just totally lost his brain. I mean, he was out, gone, check out. And that was, who knows, was it attributed to the times he was hitting it? I don't know. We don't know. um, But but what I do know is that. There are some effects. I see some players who are cognitively fine at very old ages and others that are not. Now, you can say that with life in general, but life in general doesn't have car crashes every other play either. You know what I mean? So um, I'm not going to be in denial that, hey, football, you can play it. It's a tough sport. That's what we watch it. But um, I think they're doing a good job of – doing what they can without taking the contact out of the sport to keep those direct helmet-to-helmet hits. At yeah, a well, I, I like that, too. Now, you know, I just can't see me watching on a Sunday soccer. I just, I, that well, soccer, they use their head more than football players. Yeah, to be honest well, when with they me. smash the guy in the nose with their yeah. head, yeah. Now, wait a second. I'm looking at your hands. Something's missing, Carl. Yeah, I um, I, I have Super Bowl rings. I, I keep them locked up, though. Yeah, wait, 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 wait. wait. You had... I have. Two, I have, have two Super, Super Bowl, Bowl rings? I, yeah, I have two as a player. Carl, you don't know this story. Hold on. You may have only had one. I had. I, I won two Super Bowls as a player, and <laughs> I have two from the... As a broadcaster from the last two Super Bowls. But the story was... Let's just talk about the players. Two Super Bowls as... When I was a player, my 1989 Super Bowl ring was stolen. Um, I went out to dinner, came back, and I I normally keep them all in a safe, right? Mm -hmm. And 
one was in the house. I don't know, maybe I was wearing it around or something. And I go to dinner, I come back, and I'm living in an affluent neighborhood, right? And my ring is missing. Oh, my God. And I'm like, I look around like, shit, my house has been broken into. And I'm pissed. You know, the other stuff had some value, but, you know, the, the ring had value. And so I don't know what to do. You know, police come, ah, nothing we can do. So I said, all right, let me call my guy, Bo. <laughs> so I called Bo that night. He said, I'll call you back in the morning. Next morning, he told me where to meet him to pick up my ring. <laughs> no, it gets a little better. What can it? What, what, what? It gets a little if, better. If, I that's know. Not, that, if that's not a, a great friend, I don't know what is. Well, here's what actually happened. Well, you didn't tell me what actually happened. What? He just said, I'll call you back. He called me back and says, meet me here. And well, I think it was ring. two days later because I had to do something. Now, first of all, Mike the Russian, my dear friend, melts gold. So all these thieves, you know, they, 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 when they do a burglary, they pop the diamonds out, they sell them, and this had marquee diamonds in it, three marquee diamonds. So then all of a sudden, Mike the Russian calls me up, and I said, Mike, keep a lookout, you know, my friend there, number 58. I'll say 58. And he talks with a Russian accent. 58. He calls me, boo, I got rings, say 58, Carl Banks. I said, don't. Friggin' melted. <laughs> so I rushed to 47th Street. I look at it. I said, where's the effing diamonds? He goes, there was no diamonds. And probably Mike popped them out, but it doesn't make a difference. I said to Mike, listen to me. I want you to go to a good diamond guy. I want to put three of the same diamonds in there. Marquee. So I call Carl up, and I said, let's go have lunch. And that's when I handed him this ring. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was unbelievable, man. I'm like, basically 24 hours. <laughs> He had it done. When he said, I'll call you back, he called me back. We had lunch. He handed me my ring. That <laughs> well, that happened one more time with my daughter, Dana. First day of school up there in 165th Street Grand Concourse. First day as being a teacher in the South Bronx and teaching third grade kids. And the next thing is she calls me up. The kids robbed her cell phone out of a pocketbooks. These are third graders. Yeah. So now she's hysterical crying. She was told, use a friend. I said, just calm down, calm down. So now I keep calling. Finally, this Hispanic guy answers the phone. I said, stay on the phone. I said, I'm a detective. I said, if you go off the phone, you get locked up. I said, where are you? I said, I'm a detective. So I said, my, I said you'll get a reward. So it was on a corner of, of Grand Concourse, I think 140th Street, whatever. So I told my guy, shoot over there. I said, if he has the phone, I says, give him $20, whatever the hell it is. And he, we got the phone back. My daughter couldn't believe I got the phone back. Another happenstance. But here was the deal. What I think was one of these kids probably came home and the grandfather happened to be a, a really good-hearted person say, where'd you get that from? Mm. Maybe smacked the kid in the ass and said, where'd you get it? And he probably said, from the teacher. So he wanted to give it back. Yeah. And, and my daughter got her phone back. So I got Carl Banks, the Super Bowl ring. Dana's cell phone. I'm just like a miracle detective, huh? Yep. <laughs> Bo's a hero, man. He's <laughs> my hero anyway. So we, we're, we're wrapping up right now. First of all, Carl, you're one of my, you are my hero. And you ever need me, I'm always there. Well, you, you always have been. And you've been a, an incredible and continue to be an incredible friend. So we do one thing every week. We do a punk of the week. Now, it could be an issue, a circumstance, something that's bothering you this week. Oh, I got week. the punk of the week. Go ahead. Antonio Brown. Oof. Oof. Antonio Brown. I've never. It, it, you were a gambler, what right? What did after it is the Listen, punk of the week? Yeah. You were a gambler. Yes. But I don't think you've ever set 
fired to $30 million in 20, in 24 hours. Unbelievable. This guy gets a $30 million guaranteed money in Oakland, and he found a way in, within 24 hours to screw himself out of that. Then he goes to New England and blows another $5 million because he He's can't. He's finished. It's, that's the punk of the week. He's the punk. He's of the, the punk. Wow, of the that's a real. That's one of our best punks of the week. Wow, yeah. compliments on your punk. What about you, Carlo? He was on my fantasy team, so uh, I have to. He concur. punked you. He punked me. <laughs> yeah. Well, so now yeah. I got to get a starting receiver. Got to. Well, get uh, to my my punk of the week is the investigation that we were doing with the Swiss banks of not returning Holocaust money to the Jewish people that were uh, exterminated by Adolf Hitler, and they never were held to task. People mm. had accounts in there in World War II. And did you ever wonder why Hitler never bombed Switzerland? I understand it was neutral. That was bullshit, because all these Nazis had gold and money and accounts in Switzerland. Wow. And that's my punk of the week. These Swiss banks who never opened up those accounts, and there was over $25 billion of American money in these Swiss accounts that nobody ever knew. So in other words, if you made $100 million on your apparel, you put it in your account in Switzerland, you don't have to pay any taxes, these son of a gun. Yeah. So they're my punks of the week, the Swiss banks. Thanks. And that's it. But wrap it up, Carl. All right, Carl, where can people find you? Where can people get yeah. your apparel? Where ah, can... yes. Where do we get some of So this you stuff? can find me on Twitter at Carl Banks G-I-I-I, Instagram, Carl Banks G-I-I-I, uh, Starter.com. You can find my gear or Fanatics.com. Fanatics, all yeah. right. Wow. Yeah. Now, I want to get one of those bomber jackets. Where I got you. It? Where do I get it? No, no, oh, I Just buy. tell me where do I send it. No, I it. buy. Where, where no, do no, I, I buy. You want me to drop it off at rails? No, I buy. Where well, do you want me to bring o- it? Only if you're going to eat meatballs with me. I'll eat meatballs You'll with eat you. dinner. I'll well, eat Carlo, meatballs Carlo, you'll arrange a dinner with Carlo, uh, uh, with Carl, please. And I'll bring the bomber. No, you don't have to. I, I'll buy it online. No, 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 I'll bring it. Yeah. Yeah. I love bomber jackets. Man. I know you do. I like the, the distressed-looking ones. Carl, you the I man. I got you, brother. I'm going to give you some love when we finish. And thank you so much. Appreciate man. you, man. Thank you. All right. It. You can find us. We're at One Tough Podcast on Twitter. Bo is at Bo Deedle on Twitter and the real Bo Deedle on Instagram. You can email us any questions, comments, guest suggestions. We read all the emails. One Tough Podcast at gmail.com. We've got a great fall lined up with more great guests. Stay listening, and we'll see you next week.